Hello and welcome to the 136th episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them how they made their start making games, what their influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves, and in the second half we discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is Future Unfolding by Spaces of Play. Andreas. Hello. Who are you and what do you do? Uh, I'm good. Hey, uh, so I am part of Spaces of Play, as you already said. Um, at Spaces of Play, I do sort of um, all kinds of ancillary tasks like um, sound implementation, PR, marketing, business development, um, support, testing, um, all kinds of stuff the other two guys don't want to do. <laughs> How many of you are you then? You sound so like- we are. F- we're three people in our core team, and then we have a few few uh, sort of freelancers who help us out with certain things. That seems to be the magic number for developers, I've noticed. You do get one one. You get some developers do a one man band, as they say, mm-hmm. um, but they're 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 what I call it's a favourite word of mine. I discovered about six or seven years ago. Polymaths, people who are jack uh, jack of all trades and master of all of them. Right, <laughs> they're terrifying. Right. Um, and a lovely is- yeah yeah. Sorry? Yeah, uh, three is a pretty good number because if you if you have like a discussion about something, you mm. you always have um, you have an uneven number, so then you can make a decision two to one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I think that's one one way one reason why it's a good number. I've also found that uh, I play a lot of board games. Forgive me, but I do. I like them, <laughs> and I uh, found that a lot of four player board games play better with three. <laughs> it's right. just 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 the maths dynamic, and also the as you just described the you know. There's a not too much. The, the, the downtime isn't too bad because there's only three of you around the table, and it's it's just got that tighter kind of interaction between all three of you. Whereas there's four, you're just gonna there might be a risk of someone being sidelined, mm-hmm. and that, that's a bit sad. So yes, there's obviously, but you're right. The creative process requires a lot of bouncing backwards and forwards between each play, each person. Mm-hmm. You come up with an idea, but you need someone to turn around and go, "That's the stupidest idea ever." Idea <laughs> ever. Please stop. Right. Please stop talking. <laughs> and then you have the other one going, "No, maybe he's got a point on this bit." And then, yeah, that's that's yeah. yeah. So, how did you make your start making video games? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, um, I guess the question is how far I should go back. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've had people <laughs> say, you know, well, I was this fetus. And uh, I heard my mother playing Pong while I was unborn. No, being silly. Did, but... did you? No. <laughs> no, no, okay. no. Um, but they do go back to when they're like very young, to like 10 years old, when they found their first Commodore PET computer and they started playing yeah. games on it. I mean, that counts to me. That, that's, in, that's important. So did you go far, that far back for you? So my first computer was a Commodore 64, okay. um, which I shared with my older brother. Uh, I even sort of remember my dad teaching me very basic basic yes um so the first games i made for myself were like sort of ascii text adventures where you had like an you had like a sort of a screen and the screen was um depicting some landscape uh made uh, from ascii art and then you would have one two or three choices and you'd pick a choice and then you go to the next screen okay that was that was all in basic with go-to statements (laughs) Uh, so that was the first games i made um and then later uh, I got my own computer, which was an Amiga 2000, 
uh, which two thousand. Wow. Yes. Yeah, I, I had a I had a five hundred, and then I upgraded to a twelve hundred, which is not a bad, you know. Yeah, the reason we got the two thousand was, I mean, all my friends had Amiga five hundred five hundreds because yeah. that was the machine to get. But my dad, for some reason, he, he wanted to make sure that this computer can do real work as well. And on the two thousand, you could install um, PC IBM com- compatible um, cards. So we would, you could have a MS DOS machine inside the Amiga, which we had. Yes. Um, so that's the reason we got to 2000 because it was, you know, it was like a real it, work computer. You so could it was, real it was a it. big daughter board, weren't they? They were called back then. I think they were like it's a yeah, the Zorro two sockets or something. Like yeah, that. It had, yeah, had a lot. I think it had like five expansions, yeah. lots of something like that. So they were huge, huge things, and they're very expensive. Yeah. But uh, obviously, yeah. yeah, or maybe it paid for itself. I hope it did. I guess in the long run. So I had this for a long time. Um, I never got an Amiga 1200 until I don't know, 15 years later when I bought one on eBay, which I still have today. <laughs> um, which I'm sort of now I'm sort of mod- modding that, like putting in. I just got a new uh, case for it uh, on Kickstarter. Of course you did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but, yeah. But back to the game. So on yes, Amiga, yes. I made the uh, I made. I guess I mean some more complex games with mm. uh, Amos Professional. Amos, that was lovely. That's I called it Amos. Sorry, I'm British, so Amos, we yeah, stress Amos, the A. I know we shouldn't, but we just like oh, it's Amos. Good, yeah. Really fine. Know how to pronounce it. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I didn't have any British friends. When oh I, I mean, yeah, I, we, we stress I'm, certain vowels differently. You know this. You speak English yourself now, so it's, yeah. uh, we're weird. We we stress. <laughs> we have this sort of inflections on certain vowels. Like, why are you stressing that? Why it's not. Sorry, it's just what we do. <laughs> but yeah, it's Amos. And I used that too uh, as one of my first sort of furtive beginnings on using programming. So what did you make mm-hmm. on that? Uh, so they, I made two games in Amos. One was uh, one was a clone of Paradroid. <gasps> uh, but only of the part where you do the transfer. Oh, right, okay. Uh, right. Uh, because that was much easier than it's, than having a, a map that was scrolling. So that I made like the easiest. So, so it was only about that. So you would have like these sort of schematics with two sides and you would play. Um, I think you could only play against another person. I don't think I had like um, AI for the game. Uh, it's, a funny, uh, it's funny you mentioned Paradroid because did you play the update in, in for the Amiga version? Did you play that? Yeah, I mean, the Paradroid 19, that's one of my favorite games. Yes, fantastic. I actually streamed the original about three or four weeks ago. It's good fun. Right, oh my, yeah. yeah. It's an amazing game. Beautiful. So way, way ahead of its time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I love the atmosphere in Paradroid, Paradroid 19. Yeah. yeah. Where, um, like in this game, there are... I mean, there are all these, these, these droids you have to like, take over and you have to clear the ship out of the droids that have so gone crazy. Um, but then there's also the raiders, which are, uh, which, so I think they're like pirates. Yes. Uh, which, yes. which board the ship, but, but they, but you only see them, you, they're super rare in the game. Right. Like you see them. Um, and like when you, when you play through the game and there are like these um, board computers and you can look into, look at them and it says like, oh, they're like, I don't know, on this ship there are 20 droids and zero raiders. And it's like, oh, what's these raider guys? <laughs> it, was a really, it was a really nice way to set up. Oh, there's something more, but it takes a really long time until you see them. So like sort of a foreshadowing of oh, what, what does this mean? And uh, what, so that was, what drew you to make a reproduction of the, of the hacking um, I mean, okay. I, I just I just really liked the game, and the hacking part was much easier to clone. Okay. okay. 
So I just because they are, they are like the, making the actual game with the scrolling and the maps seemed too advanced for me at the time. I, okay. I didn't really know how to do that, so I tried to do something I could I could reproduce, which was like a very simple logic one screen thing. Mm. Uh, I think the main issue was that I didn't really know how to do the scrolling. Um, no, even though it was like hardware locked in, that's probably why because it was quite it was quite advanced stuff. I mean, yeah, okay. Uh, and then the other game I did was like a sort of free player. Uh, local multiplayer game where you had like flying pigs and they, they could shoot at each other um, and the pigs looked a bit like um, the character from Nebulos oh Nebulos yeah yeah so so you see yeah, they, I mean they had I mean yeah obviously like they were very clear um, I mean they were games that are sort of copied or like took elements from and sort of tried to do my own games um, so these are I think the two I'm actually made that you can actually play Right. Um, but yeah, just for myself, and I, I don't know how old I was. Maybe no, no. 40 or something. Okay, that's good. No, I mean, it, that's what I like to hear about the first sort of faltering steps into the extraordinary world of video game creation. And then obviously you moved on from there. Right. Um, so then so then for a while, I think I, I moved into um, so web development. So I think 98 was where the internet or like web design became something interesting, or there was a lot of interesting stuff happening on, on the web. Um, so I moved my interest to that for a while. Uh, and then, so I, I worked for like a web agency uh, for two years um, after finishing school. Um, and then after that, I decided, decided to study, so I studied uh, communications design uh, in uh, a city called Potsdam, which is close to Berlin. Right. In Germany, um, and that's actually where I met my two colleagues who are who, are, who I'm now working with, Matthias and Marek. I met them at the university there. Okay. Um, and what's the next step? So when so I studied that for five years, and then I mean, during the study, did all kinds of stuff like photography, graphic design, um, interaction design. So it was a really really broad education, so you could sort of do whatever you want and pick choose different um different areas but then like during the second half of my studies i wanted i got more interested in games again and wanted to see if i could work in that field um so i decided to do my um my thesis work about game design and the same time i discovered a book which was really influential to me it was called uh or it's called tools of play right um, okay by uh, katie salen and eric zimmerman uh, and Woods of Play is basically a compendium, like uh, or like a collection of different ideas that other sort of game design or like game theory people have uh, written, and 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 Salen and Zimmerman have sort of written it up into like a comprehensible book. Okay. Uh, so when I read that, uh, that was the first time when I sort of understood what the game design sort of means, like sort of different the different parts of game design, how they work together, and how and like the, the interesting things you can do with it, um, sort of. So, and based on that, uh, I made my first original game, which was not a clone, which was called Panda Park, which was a flash game. Uh, I think you can still play it on Congregate today uh, if you um, if you have a browser that that supports Flash. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's hard and hard to find these days, yeah. Right, but the idea of that was basically it was basically like uh, Carbon and Hobbs. Um, like a two-player game, local multiplayer, where um, you ro- run around in sort of like a Pac-Man maze, and you have these two different characters, 
a little girl and a panda bear. Um, and uh, like like little kids, how they like, I mean, if you if if you watch little kids play, um, they often change the rules while they while they play. Yeah. Uh, sort of something. It's like it's almost like cheating, but it's like it's a part of part of the game. Mm -hmm. And the idea was to have the same game mechanics for this game, where you could pick up items that would change the rules of the game. So it's a bit like so while you play, so while while you're in the same sort of match. Um, so that was the first original sort of game concept that I made, which was very much um, inspired by rules of play, um, because then I realized, oh, you can you can actually. If you if you sort of think like if you make it before before I read that book, I was just think, I was basically thinking, oh, game design means game development. Mm. So when like you know you make a game and what do you need to do technically? But then I realized, okay, you get there's a lot of like um, theoretical background on how you sort of structure the rules of the rules of the game and, and right, so on right and you can do different things with that and like you can different things emerge out of that if you think about that and try to do something that hasn't been done before um and sort of since i think since then with all the games i worked on like both the stuff i did by myself and also in the later spaces of play uh, we always try to have something new and like we look, I mean, we look at different genres, and we say let's and sort of decide let's try to do something in this genre, but also let's try to do, add something new to that that has not been done before in this way, uh, so that it has been an important part for us, or like an important motivation to add something, like to bring something new to the table. Um, well, you've certainly uh, done that with Future Unfolding, and right, been yeah. an understatement really, but yes. <laughs> But, but but yeah, I mean, at least for me, I mean, I think the other two guys that work on the game, um, they they might have their own motivations. But at least for me, there was always one of my motivations to try, from that point on, to try to do something new. Um, because otherwise, what's the point of never making a game at all? Okay, yeah, that's fair enough. It's interesting that it's Calvin Ball that inspired that, but <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, Calvin Ball, yeah. <laughs> Which is yeah, chaos. Like, only Calvin knew the rules to Calvin Ball. That's I mean, why. Cal I mean, Calvin Ball is a fantastic game. Like uh, even just reading it, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's um, yeah, it's wonderful. Um, okay, so th that brings us much pretty much up to date now, doesn't it? I mean, we we're just about to talk about what well, we're going to be talking about future unfolding. Um, mm -hmm. Sure. So. I'm going to ask you now this this question, nebulous question, I think. But I'm going to ask you anyway, and I think you've already answered it earlier, but what do you think influences you as a creator? Um, so, you mean in regards to future unfolding? No, just generally. I mean, it's it's what's the thing that you've, you've drawn to over and over again? And I think it's the quest for the new, isn't it? Um, yeah, I, I mean, the future unfolding... Um, I mean, we're we're a team of three people, and we're all quite different. Mm -hmm. We have like different personalities. I mean, we all come from different countries, even. Okay. Um, so I come from Germany. Uh, are um, the two guys, the, the two main game designers, are come from um, Sweden and Poland. Um, and um, what was I going to say? I'm not sure. We're, we're focusing <laughs> on. Your, as creators, what do you think you're influenced by most? So as a team, if there is. Such yeah, a team. I mean, there, there's like uh, with with our team, we're looking at many. We try to get influences from many different places. 
Uh, I mean, one influence obviously is other games. Uh, like we look at other games and we sort of analyze what we like or dislike about them, and then and we sort of, in some cases, yeah, we look at the, like other games and see like in what space do you think we could do something interesting? Like what space does interest us? Um, in the case of Future Unfolding, one of the first discussions we had, so we did a game called Spirits before that. Um, um, and so when we were when we were done with that, and we said, okay, now we have. Now we're done with this game. We have done. We have ported it in different platforms and all that. And then we said, okay, what's the next game we want to work on? Uh, and it took quite a while for us to figure it out. I think it took over a year just to like decide something together that we would work on as a team. Um, and during that time, uh, there was an article by um, by I think. Uh, sorry if I get the no- name wrong now, but I think Tavis Thompson, who wrote an article called Saving Zelda, which was about uh, Skyward Sword. Uh, and Skyward Sword got a lot of critique for being handholdy and you're never allowed to do anything yourself. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Or, or like someone has to show you before you are allowed to do it. Like you, yeah. you, there's nothing that you can sort of figure out yourself. Um, so, and, and I think that article, like during that time, I think four years ago or something that sort of, you know, made the rounds on Twitter and, and, and so on. And like, it was like discussed quite a lot. Um, so there was one inspiration for us to think about, okay, could we make an sort of adventure game that is with like the, that is a bit more like the very first Zelda uh, where you know, in the very first Zelda, you have like the start screen. You can go in three different directions, and no one tells you where you should go. Um, yes, it was brutal. Right. No one remembers that. We do now yeah. because more and more people are playing the original thanks to the Breath of the Wild, which right. which is very much so like, here you go, there's a door. Go on, off you go. Yeah, and I look. I remember standing out there going, "Well, Fallout Three, isn't it? Pretty much, <laughs> pretty much. Right. Although there's no giant." robot throwing nuclear weapons it's yeah fallout 3 and there's no mutants as well but yeah it's still full down <laughs> you know the same sort of like vast open landscape and go this is you can wherever you can see you can go and that was right. that was the point but there was a, no no pretty much almost no, there are boundaries and they're very natural and beautifully put together but we're not here to talk about that <laughs> but uh, right. it is it is you know pretty much you can go there provided you don't get killed which happens a lot mm-hmm. but um um so you're you've definitely been inspired by or articles, peers, other video games, mm-hmm. anything else? So, sure. So the other thing um, we look at, I mean, we look at different, um, we we look at uh, like other art forms um, quite a lot, uh, like books, uh, movies, okay. um, uh, like different uh, art styles. Um, like the the name for the game actually uh, our Matthias uh, who's doing who's a co-game designer and does all the coding um, he found the name or like the phrase future unfolding in like a poetry book uh-huh. um, so we have we, we definitely look at uh, different um, like we like we try to like I think once we have figured out like what roughly the the what you do in the game we try to find inspiration outside of games um so with the previous game spirits um many people have compared it to it looks a bit like a studio gameplay uh graph like graphics 
Um, so it looked like some like a previous game. Basically, someone said it looks it's, it's like a Lemmings meets Princess Mononoke. I don't know if you've seen the movie. I'm not sure. Um, remind me of it. What's what's the concept of it? Oh, okay. Uh, Princess Mononoke. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure how to describe it. Um, but it's uh, but it's there's basically like a, um, a Japanese uh, studio that makes um, animated movies. Okay. Uh, it's called Studio Ghibli. Oh, no, um, Studio Ghibli. Yes, yeah, sorry, but I haven't seen. Yeah. It. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid the only thing I've seen of theirs is uh, Nino Kuni, <laughs> which is right. which is a great RPG. It's a lovely RPG, a bit dark, yeah. but it does have a Welshman in it, so it's all right. Um, yeah. yeah or, uh, it, um, but no, I'm afraid it's it's one of my guilty sort of like not guilty pleasures. The other thing, uh, pile of shame. That's right. I have a pile of films of shame that I need to get through. Uh, no, thanks I mean, for adding to that. Fun. That's great. Yeah. You're <laughs> So, um, so there are the, so the main characters and spirits, which are like these little leaf ghosts, uh, were sort of inspired by some of the ghosts in, like some of the forest ghosts in Princess Mononoke, for example. Um, then, for featuring folding, um, we do a certain thing with the with the perspective, so we have a bird's eye view for future unfolding. You do, um, uh, sort of like in the. So we knew we, we knew we wanted to have that um, because it's like an interesting. We wanted to have this sort of top-down thing, like we, in the like in the first Zelda. But we also thought it was visually interesting to do something like that and and have it straight top-down. But then if you do that, you sort of lose um, like the, it's hard for the brain to process um, because you sort of like if you see a three um, D character only from top down, it's very flat because you only see the head and the shoulders and so on. Um, so, um, and that's hard to understand, like for your. It feels like a, a game of chess or something like that, or Go. You know, it's just, right. just icons um, scraping across a flat plane. Okay. Right. So, in the way, yeah. yeah. So the the way we solve that is that we um, like in the game um, we actually have so all the animations are two D, uh, sort of frame by frame, hand drawn. Um, but we do draw all the animations for all, for the character and for the animals all from two different perspectives. So we mm. draw them, we draw them from top as you see them in the game. Mm. But we also draw them from the side, and then we combine these two um, animations and sort of interpolate them, and we create a three D model that looks a bit like a stone sculpture. Uh, so we have this, we have this animated stone sculpture that we then use to cast light on it. And then it projects the shadow into the game world, and then the shadow actually tells you, as the player, um, how um, these characters and animals actually look. Because like you have all this extra information in the shadow, you have like the volume information in the shadow, and you can see sort of their bodies in the shadows. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to actually understand like what you're looking at if you didn't have the shadows. Okay. Uh, and combine and having these sort of two different uh, perspectives. Uh, and combining them into uh, a 3D model that's sort of um, inspired by something called shadow art, where you have um, is a is an art art form where you um, have a sort of a sort of paper model that hangs in a room, mm. uh, so it's, uh, and then you project light onto it, and then on the wall you see the actual motive in, as a shadow. Yeah, yeah, but it's you, really but, extraordinary when the, right. for some reason it becomes very almost uh, ethereal when, they, when you do right. that. 
But if you yeah, but if you look at the actual paper model, you don't and you don't see no, the greater shadow, you no. don't understand what what's going no. on. And so this sort of technique, we use the same technique for the game wow. um, to create um, sort of create this very specific perspective. Um, and it's 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 it's, it's, it's relatively sub, sub, subtle. So when people see the game for the first time and they take notice that they like how it looks and so on but like they can't really figure out how it works no and so that's one of that's one of the tricks behind it and that's they're like taken from a completely different context i mean that's not we, we didn't take that from another game we took that out of a different context which is origin this in this uh, context so um so that's we're always trying to find things that are not really new in other contexts but are, that are new in the context of games um to have to like create something that feels like new and in the game world that is that is fantastic and that's the sort of thing i wanted, wanted to draw out from this particular question is you know what are things that you that you become inspired by and, and what what do you think do you take from uh, other media and other and the universe itself if you will and install right. it into your game and that's what you know game creation is about it's not about you just sitting there playing sensible soccer for hours on end it's <laughs> it is about you know drawing inspiration from others Speaking of others, um, who do you most admire in the video game industry and why? Okay, um, that's a good question. Thank you. <laughs> I'm also completely unprepared for that. I know, sorry. Who do I most admire? I mean, you don't want to offend uh, anyone. That's, that's quite common. A lot of people say, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. <laughs> um, I'm not sure. I mean, it can be a company. Like, it doesn't have to be a person. I mean... Right. I mean, there is. Uh, like, I, I remember when I went to my very first GDC, like, I don't know, six years ago or something like that. Um, I was very excited. And I, I, was, I was already following GDC sort of online, like, the two years before, and sort of, you know, reading everything about it and, like, watching the videos they put up and so on. So, so, I, so, so one day I decided, okay, and then and that, that was before we had our studio spaces to play. Um, so I decided uh, I want to go. Uh, I basically went there by myself, and I met a lot of people. And the thing I remember was like everyone I talked to was everyone I talked to was like so generous and kind, and like you could you, like you you could basically meet your heroes. Um, and they weren't and monsters. To, and, and, yeah. <laughs> no, and you could talk to them, and they were very kind, and yes. they, they would even stay, they would say hi to you, and they would. I mean, they, they wouldn't they wouldn't talk to you for hours, but they would say, you know, they would. Like I remember, um, I think at the, on the Friday of the of my first GDC, I was hanging out with another friend that I I think that I just met like this week, and then and we went to this bar. It was like right across GDC, and there were all these um, sort of game design like there was this group of game designers that was like they were like sort of senior and like I mean when we were pretty young um, and we sort of we, we walked up there and we said hi and like and one of the per people that was there was um, Eric Zimmerman who wrote Woods of Play uh, so I said so I said I was really excited to just say hi to him and tell, tell him that um, I really like this book and then he even knew one of the games they made after. So I, I talked about Panda Park, was the one game I made. There's another game I made was called Understanding Games, which was like a Flash game I made 2007, I think, uh, which is also very based on um, on this on his book. Uh, so I told him about that, uh, and was just very happy that 
you know, he was really friendly and he even knew the game I was making. And it's wow. like, hey, and then he was like, he was like introducing me to everyone else on the table. And everyone's like, yeah, I was saying hi. So, uh, I mean, I feel like, I think for my, for my sort of career in quotes uh, into games, I think, uh, uh, Eric Zimmerman was really influential for me um, just because he, for him, I actually understood what game design meant um, in, in like a way that felt really inspiring and sort of creative. And uh, that didn't just mean like sort of copying other people's games, but like the, the game design as a way of creating your own game and sort of creating the game that only you, you as a person or you as a team can do uh, because no one else could do ex this exact game that we did, for example, now, like there, like, I mean, someone could make a similar game, but it would still look, be different in certain mm -hmm. aspects just because of, um, of different factors. Um, so that, I think, yeah, I think Eric Zimmerman is probably one of the, probably one of the most influential people. It's a fantastic answer. <laughs> and it, it, it led you to where you are now talking to me about future unfolding. So, that's a fantastic. Yeah, I guess yeah, I, in, 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 a, in a way it did. Yeah, it did. I mean, you picking up that book and just burying your nose into it for how many ever hours, and led me led you to create games. I mean, that's the purpose of the book of create, and that's a really good one. You know, that's, there are some books out there, and I'm sure you've read them that seem to be written for the person who wrote them. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, if you haven't if you haven't read Riddles of Play, I think I think it's still a fantastic book today. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean. Yeah. Um, okay, so this next question is the last question of the first half. So well done. You've been almost there. The last hurdle. Mm -hmm. And I have to ask right. this because, you know, this is a video game podcast. Therefore, I have to ask this question, which is, what are you playing right now? What I'm playing? I, I did I play a lot of Future Unfolding recently for playtesting, uh, like more than... <laughs> like I, I think I'm the only person who completed it 100%. Um, <laughs> wow, so, that's impressive. <laughs> so far, so far, I can look at the, uh, the, at the achievement stats. Uh, yeah. I mean, someone might beat me soon. Um, Anything else? Uh, I did... The last, the last game I played was on the way to PAX East, and that was... Um, Fire Emblem. <gasps> what, the, the mobile phone one or the one on the regular no, no, DS? The, 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 not even the newest one, but like the previous one. Oh, wow. So, like, wow. Because I haven't, <laughs> haven't finished that yet. Uh, They're like, really, I've, really good games. They're really good games. Did you enjoy it? I mean, did you get through much of it? Yeah, I, I, I actually know where I am, but I, I, and, and I, I was a big fan of Advanced Wars. I'm... Um, I wish they would make another Advanced Wars. They um, really but do need I, to, I, don't I, I basically played Fire Emblem because I didn't make more Advanced Wars. <laughs> so that <laughs> I think, if, I mean, if they had made another Advanced Wars, I probably would have played that instead and not, not bothered with Fire Emblem. But no, I uh, I like certain parts of it. Um, hmm. It's um, it's yeah. The permadeath it can be quite galling for people. I think I, uh, I think I turn that off actually. Yeah, a lot of people do. Um, but uh, speaking for myself, I played Zelda on the plane because I just got my Switch, and I thought, oh, why right. not? But unfortunately, the battery ran out in about three hours. Mm -hmm. uh, and you and I know that journey is not uh, is not three hours. It's more like seven. 
right. So, um, but no, no, that's good. Good shout. Good shout. And uh, well done for testing Future Unfolding because as we're about to delve into, we put about now, we're going to understand why that's such a Herculean task of Mm playtesting this amazing game. So, tell us, Andreas, what is Future Unfolding? Okay, um, a Future Unfolding is an action-adventure uh, where you sort of w- wake up or get thrown into a surreal, weird world. And no one's really telling you what's going on. Um, you can... Uh, the only thing we tell you in the game really is which buttons or which keys you can press um so there's no tutorials there's no really like any ui or something like that um um so you're right there's nothing is there it's just you a little blue person standing in a field of ferns or field of something could be anything but well, yeah. so so there is a lot in the game, and there is a lot of um, mechanics and puzzles and like mm. sort of structure and rules. Um, but you, the idea is that you have to figure out everything yourself, um, and that's sort of the the fun part of the game is figuring that out. Um, so, so yeah. Um, can you do no reveal anymore? Or I mean, it's ultimately that is it. It's an action adventure game. Mm-hmm. You're plopped in the middle of a, 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 a an environment, and uh, you're not told anything. Uh, but you're the there's no there's no immediate other than you can move with a a control. If you're playing with a controller, the mm-hmm. left left thumbstick will do something. Right, right. <laughs> but, but that's that's all you know, uh, and. Uh, uh, which leads me on to my first... Because if I say anything more, um, it might reveal a bit too much about the game. But what I'm going to do now is dig very carefully uh, about um, about this, about, about Future Unfolding, from what I understand and what I read and what I experienced. Mm. So, on this, and we've mentioned it a fair amount of times in this show, but I want to dig deeper into this. You do assume a lot on the player understanding how to interact with the world in future unfolding, mm-hmm. have you ever been concerned or found problems in that you may be asking too much of the player? Right. So um, when we started, we did have a lot of doubt, I guess. On the, so we had, this, we had this idea or this vision for the game that would be trying to make a game that was the complete opposite of games that would handhold you and sort of tutorialize everything and sort of taking the fun out of discovery things yourself you tried to make like a sort of total conversion out of many things you would find in triple a games at least back then four years ago i mean i think now it is shifting a little bit but um i think still some many if i try like a triple a game sometimes that i i think i might enjoy but if it starts with like an 
half an hour tutorial I'm like I don't want to play it anymore even though I, I might enjoy the rest of the game so we tried to make something that's the complete opposite of that and we try and our sort of design goal or vision or like something we want to try is that we want to go as far as possible with that like how far can we go um to not explain anything at all like and like to, but it should still be playable and it should still be a game it's just not it's not like an it's not um it's not a walking simulator it's not like an art experience it's, it, is, it is a game it has um, puzzles and it has a structure and so on it has an ending um so we wanted to see how far we can go how far we can push this and then we start we started to show it at festivals like really, really early on like as soon as we had something you could just walk around and the we uh, the thing we realized that it like when if you put people in front of it um and the only context they really needed was that you tell them uh, this game is about exploration and sort of the goal is to explore the world and figure out what's going on. That's all the context people needed to sort of play and enjoy the game um, during that four years we showed that at different festivals during the development. So that gave us sort of confidence in um, understanding that, okay, the concept is going to work. Like we have sort of the advantage of that we have this world that looks sort of beautiful and it sort of suck and it makes you interested and it sucks you in so you have like maybe the first five or ten minutes you're just happy walking around because everything looks nice but then after the first five ten minutes you start to understand oh there's weird things going on and there's sort of rules that are hidden but you can figure them out if you sort of pay attention uh, but but they're not spelled out for you but they are there and you can sort of you can learn them by by observing or by experimentation uh, and people that played the game at festivals found that really, really rewarding and really, really refreshing um, because I think they were tired of games sort of uh, chewing everything for them. Well, they, um, they, they generally assume the lowest, condo- lowest common denominator, don't they? they? They assume the worst on the part of the player and the fact they have the intellect of a of a small snail <laughs> you know it's it's and that's what future unfolding does it credits the player with some intelligence right yeah or at least some curiosity um mm. like i don't um so but also we like we also try to make a game that works on different levels um so like i mean if you want to complete the game 100% i think you have to be like a sort of a hardcore player uh, like um and you have to be like a completionist but we also designed the game in a way that just walking around feels like uh, interesting and rewarding and it's like a pleasure experience so we had some test players who like rarely play games uh, at all who just liked to be in the woods and like listen to the music and like maybe uh, discover some deer or like some friendly animals that you meet uh, and they just like that part, uh, and then we have other players who like want to find want to find every secret. So we really try to make a game that is somewhere between like a game like Journey and Proteus, that is very sort of it's all about the experience, and there are not necessarily many goals. And the game like Zelda, which has specific goals and puzzles and a sort of traditional game design, so we try to be like right there in the middle between these two kind of genres and try to build a game that it, it's possible to, to both of these groups to enjoy the game there is a narrative to proteus i still keep on telling this to people there mm-hmm. is there is the seasons you go through the seasons and then there's the weird castle that you go through and then it transports you into another castle it's just yeah there's a thing and uh there, when i was playing future unfolding 
Mm. There's a lot of familiarity, like, oh, I've been here, I've been to this kind of... And I'm just like, oh, what does that do? What does that look like? Why is that different? That mm. looks a bit different. Look at that pattern of those things. Let's go, oh, right. look, that's done that. You know, and it's just... It's it's, it's wonderful how you have sort of gently nudge the player along. But before I, I, I could delve into that, it's another question I ask, and... I'm not sure if it's true. Maybe you don't want to go into too much detail because it's a bit mechanical, but mm-hmm. is there some randomness going on, some procedural generation going on? I don't think there is, but... Oh, oh yeah, there there is, actually. There is, um, yeah. So the the way... So the thing we did is... Um, so the way we try to explain it, uh, because procedural generation is sort of is sort of a catch-all phrase, which can it's, mean different things. It um, is. I mean, for me, sorry to interject, but the, the earliest I heard about that was when David Braben and Ian Bell did Elite and they made right. the universes using procedural generation techniques for making the computer create the content because their computers, they couldn't do it themselves because they'd fill up the RAM in 20 seconds. Right. Um, and that was the whole purpose. So what I wanted to dig out from you is, could you explain the core model within Future Unfolding without spoiling anything, of course? Sure, yeah. Uh, so the way we sort of explain it is that it's sort of half designed and how procedure generated the game right. uh, and to be more specific uh, we have uh, we have their own sort of level editor so we, I mean, in the game you have sort of different areas that you sort of and then if you and if you exit the area you go to like a different new screen sort of uh, so each of these areas we have we, we design in our own editor uh, and we basically design them by sort of drawing circles um, and each circle has um, like it's a representation of a sort of specific sub-areas. So for example, we could draw one circle and the circle, um, the properties of the circle are here could be a forest uh, and the forest um, has a density of, I don't know, uh, sort of 1.5 to 2. Right. So there's a, so that means that um, because it's a range, if you start a new game and it generates the area for you, um, it might look a bit different because it like, uh, because we have, we have defined this could be uh, any range. Um, so, and a good, like a nice side effect of that is we don't have to place every tree manually because there's a lot of trees. So it would be crazy to like try to design everything by hand. Mm. So we have all these sort of uh, brushes and like objects that we can that we can we don't place them by hand, but we we tell the game, hey, there should be a forest here, but you figure out how, you figure out how the forest looks. Just make sure the player can sort of walk through it, uh, or maybe here's a forest that the player cannot walk through it because it's very dense. Uh, so we can sort of put these areas and throw them onto the map. Um, and then we can also we can define um, we can define that um, certain areas should have variations. Uh, so we can say, okay, this area maybe has has a puzzle, but it, it's not always the same puzzle. It can, for example, pick one of three different puzzles. And then uh, basically, what it, what happens if if you start a new game or if you enter a new world, there are like several subworlds in the game. So if you enter a world, uh, if will gen- it will generate a world for you, and that will be unique. Um, but the overall structure of each area, we still manually design that because we want to make sure um, the puzzles work. Right. Um, and it's and it's relatively hard to design puzzles that are completely procedurally generated. Um, the early, at least the kinds of puzzles that we have in the game. Um, so there's a lot. Of, so if you if you play through the game and if you play the game again, you will um, you will encounter areas that are familiar to you. But they will be slightly different because they have a different seed. They have like a different variation attached to them. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, it, uh, it is quite interesting because there's some games out there now I've played, especially builders. They ask you, "Which seed would you like?" Put in a weird, weird, weird sort of like phrase, and we'll right. create it based on that phrase. What? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so I mean, we don't show those to you. No, well, you don't. Obviously. No, you right. don't. Nor should um, you. Nor should you. But yeah. Um, but then there's there's a few other things that we do. Um, so how each area on the map is connected, that's also um, generated procedurally. So we have certain rules that we want to make sure. In each world, there are X number of areas that have type A and X number of areas that have type B. So that we we that we know sort of so we group these areas. We, we have uh, roughly two hundred different areas that we design that are that can be in the game. Um, so, and we sort of distribute them in a way that makes sense for the pacing because we want to make sure that, the, like, even though it's procedure generated, we want to make sure that the pacing feels really good so that you have, uh, like, a relaxing area and then you have, like, a challenging area and then you have something where you're discovering something new and so on. Uh, and that, um, the, 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 it's, but it's not linear. Like, the the way someone will experience this, everyone will experience something different in like or experience things in a different order. Right. Uh, so if you play the game and then you talk to your friend and you say, "Hey, have, have you have you already met like how like how many hours have you been? Oh, I'm two hours in. Oh, me too. Have you already found this thing?" And it's like, "No, I've never seen this before." It's because it's because uh, you might see the same thing, but you might see it like eight hours later because um, the order is not linear. Right, is the order is sort of random, but it follows a certain rule set that we implemented to make sure that um, this the, uh, the the random order still yes. makes sense. Right? I describe it as controlled chaos. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Exactly. Yeah, um, uh, it is. It, it the human mind is difficult to comprehend patterns. No correction, chaos. It can comprehend patterns. In fact, our whole world, we 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 manage ourselves. We depend on patterns we're very drawn to them even mm -hmm. when they're not there we think they're there uh, because it makes us feel better uh, right. chaos is something we don't like at all uh, and whereas the future unfolding has a i'm not going to put it down in there but it, it's a, a, a it implies chaos when in fact it really isn't it's very controlled mm -hmm. and right. you're, you're in a you know nothing really major bad will happen to you although mm. <laughs> And this leads you on to next question. Is uh, I'm, I'm, I want to ask you about the sound design because you hinted about you you had an input an input on onto that. Yeah. And I found that the sound design is is quite extraordinary in that when you have a deep throaty sort of rumble, something weird, probably bad, is about to happen to you. And mm -hmm. the the amount of I won't go into details, everyone. I can't because it ruin everything. But there are events that happen that uh, are you know, you really, you know, directional sound, I'm saying. You can pinpoint everything using, right. you know, it's vital you play this game with headphones as, as well, because otherwise you do, mm -hmm. you won't know where things are coming from. But could you right. delve into a little bit about that and how, how that how that came about? Sure. Um, so going back to what we wanted to do with the game, so we wanted to, we wanted to make a game about exploration, um, so we needed to have a world that's worth exploring, a world that's interesting. So one of the sort of design goals we had was that the world should feel really alive and it should feel like you sort of leave your mark in it. So like if you walk past flowers, for example, you, you, they disappear. Or if you walk through, like, through trees, they sort of wiggle a bit and so on. Um, so we wanted, yeah, like the, the world should feel really alive. That was one of the goals we had with um, the game. So, uh, and we have worked with, 
like we we tried to do interesting sound, uh, things with sound and music in our previous games as well. Um, so we wanted to do a really dynamic soundscape for this game, um, just because it to, because it was so much about the experience being in this world and just discovering this weird world. So this I think like for us the sound was almost as important as the visuals and how the visuals work and how they react to like what you are doing. So, so the, the, the visuals are very like reactive. Um, it's like, like every, like uh, every, everything in the game is like made of particles and the particles react to your movements as, as an avatar. So we tried to do sort of the same thing for the sound where at all the sound is completely dependent on what you're doing, where you are, which animals or objects are close to you. Mm. Um, so that we just wanted to have the same, like effect with the audio as we had with the visuals and with the visuals it's, it's more clear and with the sounds a bit more subtle like unless you're like a sound person it's more and you understand how it works but like uh like for most people sounds a bit more subtle um they experience it as, as nice um or something but they don't um, necessarily like see exactly how it works um so yeah that was one of the goals and what like we have, like we have, like the how this sound and audio design actually works is is relatively complex. Um, but we use a lot of um, we use a lot of positional things, as you say. Um, some of the music is actually trig is sort of actually sort of performed by the animals, so that you meet different animals, um, and some animals will sort of sort of play a note or like play like a an ambient sound. And then another animal that's coming from another direction will play another ambient sound and sort of, and you have this 3D space where these sounds sort of collide and that actually creates the music in some cases. Um, and then we have, um, we have very like adaptive sound system where we want to make sure that um, the sound never sounds boring. So okay. it never sounds, so it's sort of the same philosophy we had with the, like sort of generation, with the procedural generation. So in a way the, the music is procedural as well, where we, we have a designed soundtrack and music, but then we have um, additional layers of music that we can put on top that sort of randomize in so that uh, it never sounds exactly the same. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's all, the whole thing, visual and audio, the whole thing's wrapped together, same philosophy, same design concepts. Um, right. Why wouldn't it? Why wouldn't it? One has to uh, respect the other. Once you don't do that, it becomes disjointed. And there's, right. there's this continuity between the two, uh, yeah. and sometimes that works because that's what you're trying to achieve. Uh, but most of the cases, no. Yeah. Um, but it, interestingly, the, the the technical solutions for these two things are very very different. But yeah, they okay. share the same design goal. Hmm. Um, so, f like for example, um, the like all the graphics and rendering that's all our custom technology. So we don't use Unity, for example. We use our own engine just just to create this, uh, like specific visual look and this art style that feels very dynamic so that's all like hand done by our, our coder uh but then for the for the audio we actually use a, a sound engine that allows us to do these things so we're really looking for yeah so we're really trying to do and design these things based on the vision we have for the game and then sort of try to pick the best tool for what like how to achieve it and sort of not try to be dogmatic about it yeah yeah that's the best way, especially with creative types. <laughs> so my last question, uh, I know, it's, it's, you know all good things come to an end, but the last question, uh, it's about 
the thing that I use the most when I'm playing through um, Future Unfolding is the map. Mm-hmm. Um, right. How does that an early decision was that always been there? Oh, it's really funny. Like, um, so in the beginning, the world. So we started with like a sort of a vertical slice slash prototype. I mean, the first thing we showed at GC four years ago was like it was you could play for ten minutes and then you had found everything. But it was sort of the same game, but it was very small world. Um, so in the beginning, we didn't have a map because we didn't really need one. Uh, because the world was so small, but then the world or the game got bigger and bigger and bigger. And at some point, it was like, it feels like really hard to navigate this. Um, this world has become so big, like when we play tested it. Right. Uh, and, then, and then we implemented a, a very simple map, like one that was much more simpler than the one we have now, but like just, you know, to, to have some way to navigate. And then once we had that, in, it's like, wow, okay, now. Like, like the, it, it, was, it felt like such a big difference. It felt like the game now. Like if it, once we had the map, it felt like the game concept was done. Like right. Then it, like right. It, then it felt like everything started to make sense. Yeah. Uh, because, like for one thing, obviously the map helps you to orientate yourself. So it makes it feel less frustrating if you ever get stuck. And like one thing we try to make sure is like we have hard puzzles in the game, but we want to make sure that if you are stuck, you're not stuck in one place. You can usually go another way. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are usually several paths yeah. to to progress. Um, so, but like if you don't have a map, you don't really see that. So, it was important that we sort of have a way to visualize that to the player. Okay, like you're not sure what to do. You look at the map. Maybe there's you haven't looked, like the map sort of tells you the places you haven't been to yet. Like if you look at the boundaries of the map, that's exactly so, how I play it. I just like, oh, what am I supposed to go now? Oh, look, I haven't been down there. Right. And then I ask, so I think, yeah. you know, can I get down there? Yes, I can. So, yeah. Right. Yeah, I think that the map was really it was the map was a really important way for us to communicate progress to the player, because like I mean we, we that's the only way really almost the only way we communicate. I mean there's one other thing, but like that's that's one of the few ways we communicate progress for you, um, mm. uh, sort of in the traditional sense of like game progress. Um, so that was yeah, that was that was important hard and it's also because it's procedural it's also a nice way to sort of tell tell the story of the player so we at some point we decided we're going to show you on the map which animals you've met and where and if so if you open that you can sort of you can see, see okay i went here and then i met uh, this animal and then i went down there so it's almost like um the, the like in, in if you play journey there's this one sequence where you have like this sort of um, wall painting that shows your journey it's somewhere in the middle of the game i think yeah yeah it's quite so, uh, it's quite poignant actually it's quite profound right. when you look at that like well i've done that but what's all that <laughs> like oh that's right. what you're going to do so and and for us the map is a little bit like that so it has a very practical purpose but it also sort of tells like people sometimes ask is there a story in in the game like yes. yeah and and like the map, so there, there's a backstory that is told to you in the game, but like the map is, for me at least, like the story of the player or the story of the player character. Yeah. Um, that sort of visualizes the story and gives you, yeah, it gives you a sense of progression and a sense of direction. Um, I guess if we didn't have that, it would feel too sort of open. And it would, uh, and then I think, if, I think if we didn't have the map, it would feel less like a like game. It would feel more like a sort of a experience. Yeah, thing. yeah. Uh, it's uh, 
that's what I've, I've, that's how I used it. That's how I regard it as a, a, a tapestry of what I've right. been, what I've been doing, what I'm trying to do. And uh, this is the only, well, as far as I know, you're right. They hinted at another one, but we won't go into that. Uh, mm-hmm. But there is this part of the primary way in which one a player can measure their progress by how many right. areas they've successfully explored. Uh, mm-hmm. It also does other things as well, but we won't go into that. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, but ultimately, that's what it does. It does other things too, but which also help. It's all about helping uh, mm-hmm. because you need it in this in, in future unfolding. Because um, you, otherwise, you are you are completely lost. And unless you like wandering around aimlessly, which people do, um, there is a, there is a means way to actually find out what you're next meant to do. Because that's the thing about open world games is that it is yes, off you go, just do what you like, boss. Yeah, off you go. What, what, what do I do? I don't know. What do you want to do? That's not what I want to hear. So some people like a little bit of guidance, and mm-hmm. that's, and, and the map is very very subtle. And say that corner down there. You haven't been down there, have you? you want to, it, right. it reminds me also a little bit of uh, when I used to when uh, playing Diablo, and what you know when you go into Diablo and you go into a dungeon, like okay, did I explore everything? No, that corner down there. Damn it. <laughs> So you go, you do go charging down there to kill more things to get more right. stuff. Um, but um, yeah, that's reminded me a little bit of that. But uh, no, but that's it. That's it. Thank you very much for for talking about and coming to share your thoughts and feelings and understandings of future unfolding. As far as you, as a creator, I mean, I'm sure you realise that upon releasing a game, it no longer becomes yours. It's now the world's. And they have, right. they have their own interpretation. It's out on Steam right now, isn't it? Yes. Uh, remind me what platforms it's on. I know it's on Windows PC, so that's what I played it on. But is it so? Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's on the it's on PC, Mac. You can buy it on like all the big stores or uh, Steam, GOG, Humble, HIO, and even the Mac App Store. Mm. Um, and we right now we're working on the PlayStation 4 version and trying to get that out as soon as possible. Yeah, um, I've been playing it on my. Uh, I have a link box for my uh, PC, so I I, mm-hmm. I I think it works very well on a large screen. Uh, right. Yeah. Even better just, actually. Yeah, it's it's sort of designed. It's actually the game that's sort of designed for controller. I mean, you can play it on keyboard, um, of course, but it's sort of. Yes. Designed with controller in mind, yeah. So if if you have a controller, it's the preferred way to play yes, it. I think. Yes, I, I do have a 360 controller still. Plugged it. I need to replace that thing because it's a 360 controller. This thing's from the Ark now, uh, but yeah. people still use them now. <laughs> but anyway, yes, um, I have been using it on my Steam controller as well, and it works really, really well. Um, so yes, Andreas, thank you very, very much for sharing your thoughts and feelings on yeah. on. Uh, on Future Unfolding, and also the delights of computing on the Amiga, <laughs> which was great to yes. chat to you about. Uh, wish you the very, very best of luck, uh, and uh, and uh, hopefully we'll see the PS4 version out very, very soon for those of you who don't really game on their laptops and computers or have laptops from, from the, the days of yore, which is quite common. So, um, yeah, thanks very much. Yeah, thank you. And so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review. And you can also, don't forget, listen to us on Stitcher.com. So just go to Stitcher.com and you can stream the show from there. You just look up the Sausage Factory and you can find us. That'd be great. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris O'Regan, no apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me, any feedback on the show or actually you're a developer you listen to the show and want your game featured on it please do email me at chris at spong 
Com. Also, don't forget to check out the Computer Game Show, which is the stablemate podcast, shall we say, of Spong.com. Bye!